0: Welcome to Heat Work, Episode 5. My name is Alex Slidell, and my pronouns are they, them. This is the second episode diving into Queercat 2023, the first LGBTQIA led wood firing at East Creek Art in Willamina, Oregon. Over 50 new and seasoned queer artists came to experience this hands-on wood firing weekend of community-oriented programming entirely for free. In the previous episode, we discussed how we made it happen. Today, we'll be talking about the firing itself, from arrival to unload. In the final episode, we'll discuss our goals for the future of Queer Cat and the Queer Wood firing community at large. We're so lucky that our two special guests from episode four, Twig Cosby, He They, and Arminda Mindy Gandara she her, and my co-host Aubrey and Mandy, will be joining us yet again. Without further ado.
1: welcome to episode five of Heat Work. I'm here with Mandy, Twig, Alex, Mindy. We were all here for the last episode where we talked about the behind the scenes of the LGBTQ firing that happened at East Creek, the queer cat. And we're going to talk today a little bit more about the itinerary, some key standout moments, and a few other things. So Twig and Alex, do you want to paint a picture of if people are showing up and arriving to this firing, what was happening? How did it go?
2: Yeah. So last time we talked about a lot of the nuts and bolts and us stumbling through our ideas and figuring out what we wanted to do, how we wanted to do it, and how we were going to get the means to do it. But basically to summarize what we wanted Queer cat to be was a woodfire space for queer people to come together whether they were experienced woodfire potters or not to just have a fun experience and for a lot of people to learn new skills and to build community and increase access to this art form that we really love Anything to add to that Alex as far as what our goals were?
0: yeah I think that that was very eloquent just really focusing on although yes we want to bring clay and wood fire education to people in our community I think a key thing that we wanted was for every single person to feel welcome they were thought of that they were considered and I feel like I had a lot of good conversations with people who felt like their needs were being met and when they weren't we talked about it and it didn't feel like a a big deal. Be like, you need something? Great, let's make it happen.
1: Right. So when you guys were starting this, it began with the workshops was your first intro to the beginning of this firing and getting people prepped and ready to roll. What did those workshops look like?
2: Yeah, so the way that we put these ideas in motion, where we opened up two workshops that were geared towards folks that had varying levels of wood fire slash clay experience in general... One of the workshops was geared towards folks that had no clay experience whatsoever. Like, you could come in, start at square one, and we would hold your hand throughout the entire way, starting from hand building to the wadding to the loading to everything, teaching them about the kiln and this really unique firing process. And then our other workshop, we ended up having 12 participants. We initially, I think, planned to have eight, but the space could accommodate up to 12. And we had so much interest that we just kept expanding a little bit more and a little bit more. And then I wish that we could have invited even more people to that workshop because there was so much interest. But yeah, our second workshop was geared towards folks that had a little bit more experience with clay, but had really never had the chance to wood fire before, whether that be financial barriers to access or just not really having the community entryway to Woodfire. I feel like so much of Woodfire is peer-to-peer invitation-based that these people had just never had a chance to experience that. Yeah, so that was the lead into the experience where we got to introduce East Creek, introduce the process that would be undertaken, and then talk a little bit more about the practical stuff, like what to expect as far as bathrooms, accommodations, all those sorts of things so that when they showed up in a random place they've never been before with 50 other people they've never met, that they could at least start feeling a little bit more comfortable.
0: I think that really trying to prepare folks for what to expect was a really key point, because that's, as you just said, is a barrier to access that some people don't even consider. Just, I don't know, a confident dude walking into any space maybe a non-queer dude walking into any space isn't going to have to think about or consider the things that people a part of our community do and so trying to make sure that they didn't even need to ask the questions. We were providing the answers to them already, essentially.
1: Just having some foresight about the discomfort that people might experience and trying to mitigate from them having to experience it at all. Yes.
0: Yeah,
2: definitely. It was very important to me to have a sensitivity to that experience of entering a new space that you've never been before in a process that you're totally unfamiliar with. Because I remember being there, and especially as a queer person, that adds an additional layer to the discomfort of entering a new space. I think that once you get in the rhythm of understanding how wood fire events flow, everything makes sense. But if it's your first time, there's really low oversight, generally. And there's kind of an expectation that you know where you should be and what you should be doing, and whether it's go, go, go stress time, or if it's chill out, (laughs) hang out time. That was really unclear to me at first. So I wanted to emphasize bringing in that strong leadership to set the expectation clearly, just to alleviate that anxiety and cultivate a more welcoming environment for the new folks.
3: When you guys were designing the program, how much of your lived experiences, wood firing versus feedback you'd gotten versus, like you're saying, anticipating needs to the point that people didn't have to ask. I'm really impressed by that because it really, it very much felt that way. The tone of it was very much like everyone felt very cared for. And I'm just curious how you guys formulated those standards and expectations for yourself because it feels really complex, especially with the amount of people that ended up attending, right? (laughs) Do you have anything to speak on that, Alex?
0: Yes. Well, I think one of the ways that we tried to corral all of these, not loose ends, but things that we were faced with in this event was the creation of the itinerary that we worked with. I think Benjamin would be fine with us saying his name.
2: Yeah. Yeah, he's famous already. I feel like he wouldn't mind a little name drop.
0: Yeah, you're right, you're right. Everyone, people know him.
2: Benjamin Cahoon on TikTok and Instagram. (laughs) Yeah,
0: actually, yeah, we'll name drop him. But no, he helped us put together the itinerary, which included not only what to expect chronologically timeline-wise, but just I drew a little map of East Creek, and I tried to make sure that just that extra step, that's just one example of one of a way that I that comes to mind that we tried to consider everybody.
4: Yeah. And yeah. you know you know what this reminds me of is college orientations (laughs) like most colleges and universities with an incoming freshman class they come a week early and there's time spent making sure people know where they're supposed to go and about registration and where their classes are going to be and where the cafeteria is and when you (laughs) need all this stuff and not not that east creek is ever going to be a university or anything but it's just interesting that wood firing is such an enigma to so many people that really Anybody coming into it could benefit from an orientation period. (laughs) Okay, here's the facility. Here are the people who are going to be spearheading things. And here's where everything is. And just how much of a benefit that has towards making people feel comfortable and welcome and considered, especially as newbies. Um, Right. That that, that probably went a very long way towards encouraging them to relax, I guess.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And
4: not worry too much or let it get too fraught with like, okay, what am I supposed to do? Am I doing it right?
1: Well, that concrete thing, I live here. I looked at it all weekend. It's so nice. (laughs) I know what happens in a firing, but it's so nice to just have a reference in the daytime for some people. That's really helpful for just thought process and anxiety and comfort. Yeah, I thought that was really nice, especially because with a smaller crew, like 12 people, you can set all those expectations and you have all those relationship touch points is more easy to manage. But there was 50 people, it was like, you can't always see that or sense those moments of discomfort for people because that big circle of people when everyone circled up, it was a lot. And so it's nice that there was those other concrete things for people to hold on to and have as a source of support.
2: Right. Yeah. And I really like the comparison with a college orientation. I think that there are a lot of analogs that we can take from that, but really the inspiration for creating that structure was both, as Aubrey said, due to the size of the event, there were going to be a lot of people there, and I just wanted to make sure that everyone felt taken care of. And yeah, I think that that Desire comes from my own experience of also wanting to be taken care of. I want to go into a space and feel like I have my point person who knows where I need to be and is able to communicate with me what needs to happen. So it felt important to try to create that structure so that people felt truly welcome. And I think that that hospitality is something that I really value in going that extra mile. I think that during the planning, my big anxiety was I want everyone to feel taken care of. I don't want anyone to be upset with anything that we've done. And there's only so much that you can do to control that. But I wanted to at least try, right, to have us get all of our ducks in a row so that people could have trust in us as leaders and just feel very welcome and supported in the space. Because that's something that me as a person, I want to. So I I think all of us want it in some way.
4: Yeah, well, I think there's a strong sense of empathy in the approach that you all did, where you did look at your own experiences and say, okay, what would have made my experience better the first time I was ever at a wood firing? And to really look at that and then understand that other people who are new to it are probably prone to have the same misgivings and insecurities. And I wonder... Did it ever come up? Did you ever express, and and I'm not poo-pooing on other wood fireplaces as not being welcoming and accommodating, but did you ever say to them, we're doing something a little unusual here in providing this orientation for you? I mean, is that something that ever came up in those workshops?
2: You know, I'm not sure that it was something that came up in the workshops, but it definitely came up as a theme during the firing as we were really centering discussion around how we can really focus on community building and dig into issues that are really widespread in woodfaring communities in the U.S. and start to unravel those and really delve into what our values are and how we want to exemplify those within our community
3: and hopefully to have a ripple effect outwards. Do you guys see value at all? I know that this has been brought up in other like Joe just did a podcast with some peers of ours talking about how their mentors, the way that they taught them and trained them is something that would not fly nowadays. It would be cruel and unusual punishment in the way that we see our world now and how we form artists. And so I'm, I'm curious what y'all's feelings are about this idea, this notion of being forged by fire, which feels like a pun, and I don't want it to be. But like, (laughs) what I mean is like when you're thrown into the thick of it, right, and you're expected to adapt. And some people find that they're able to produce and succeed in that versus when you have a lot of peer-to-peer mentorship and guidance and things like that. Do you guys see a balance in that? Do you really prefer and lean heavily on the peer-to-peer mentorship? Is Forged by Fire a thing of the past? What are your thoughts on these broader values, I think.
0: Yes, forge by fire, king of the past. <laughs> <laughs> wood firing and clay is for everyone. I don't care what if you can't physically wood fire, that doesn't mean that it's not for you. If you can't pull all nighters to do the shifts, if you don't make cubes and cubes of pots, I'm putting my foot down on that one because I I luckily my introduction to wood firing was in college, so there was a lot of peer learning. It was a little bit like my professor was like, here's the basics. Good luck. (laughs) So I didn't personally necessarily experience that forge by fire, even though within the students there was a hierarchy. It started developing the hierarchy. The dudes who just were used to getting their way and getting everything they wanted basically would just elbow their way in and then it would force the rest of us out. So it was kind of a different, I, I guess maybe I will retract what I said about not having initially started in a community that was forged by fire because it wasn't the professor that stated that it was more the hierarchy put on by the students. And it was just like, gross dudes.
3: Yeah. Forcing you to adapt to them and that's not equitable or fair. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Be like in moments where I wanted to stand up for myself, actually, I do want to stoke the kiln or I do want to chop the wood or use the log splitter or whatever, or I do want to get in there and load. I do want to put pots in there. Yeah. Didn't feel possible. So anyway, that's a...
3: No, that's such a real feeling when you so desperately want to try and you don't even feel comfortable asking, can I try? Because the tone doesn't feel welcoming for that.
4: And the role assignment is right. is a real issue too, where there is this tendency where it's like, oh, a chainsaw is in use, it's going to be the dudes,
0: not just the dudes, but the t- tall dudes. <laughs> uh,
4: yeah, I mean, I and I say that frankly as somebody who doesn't like using chainsaws, I hate using chainsaws; they terrify me. But I do notice it is all, with the exception of Corrine, it's almost <laughs> always the dudes who pick up the chainsaw and do that work and that kind of role assignment especially gender role assignment mm. is something that really happens who's cleaning the kitchen you ever notice yeah. how it's the women cleaning the kitchen
2: <laughs> i think it's a whole systemic thing because even with the roles like using a chainsaw or using an axe down to like there are not a lot of options for like steel toed boots in smaller sizes for one thing and then there's not a lot of options for tools that are made for smaller people. I don't know, you're just kind of set up to fail in that model if you don't really fit the expectation, really. So it just makes you seem like, I don't know. Like your psyche is, I'm weak and useless, but that's not actually true. You're just set up to fail and believe those things. When the
4: tools and the gear are not available to you, exactly to, to or, be able to do the things that the bigger, the bigger, stronger people are doing,
2: or even like kiln gloves. They do make them in smaller sizes. Like they do make welding gloves in smaller sizes, but they're not usually available. You have to special order them or like go to a special store. They don't even sell them at a normal ceramic store. I feel like I started just ranting about something. No, this is important to talk about. Having an entire about.
4: rant about steel toe shoes, welding gear, <laughs> and like all that stuff that if you're a woman or you've got a smaller body type, it's considered specialized. And not only is it harder to get, it's more expensive. So mm-hmm, there, yeah. there, this double whammy prohibitive access to that stuff that you have to have at least a certain degree of privilege to get, even get your hands on it in order to be able to be Better equipped for what you want to do. And so, yeah, it's really frustrating and it's
1: maddening. And I also, thinking about this conversation, brings up another thought process that I have in the whole concept of essentially getting a firing done. Maybe it's a capitalist mindset, maybe it's just things that are physically harder have more value or they're valued more as something that's essential. But cleaning the kitchen is also a valuable and imperative part of a firing having people be fed cleaning doing tasks that don't actually require that physical because like man you're like i don't want to wield a chainsaw for me unless the equipment functions it's actually not safe i'm not like i just don't have that strength and that's okay but then is, is my input valued less because i am weaker in the physical realm but that doesn't mean that you're making wadding or making the cone packs or just making people feel welcome, being the person who shows everyone around, checking in on everybody, that emotional labor and all of that logistical thought about making sure that the community is taken care of. I think sometimes when we do these things that do also require physical labor, we create a hierarchy of skills that also diminishes people for what they can do or what they like to do. And if people are like, Oh, well, if I can't chop wood, then I'm not valued. And I think that that's another thing we changing the culture and being more thoughtful about what everything that has to happen that it's all valuable, something I've been thinking about. No, I think that's a great point.
4: Not devaluing a skill because it's not burly.
1: Well,
0: and that makes me think about something we talked about in the roundtable discussion, which was skill sharing and that assigning a value. Can I ask ask
4: one more question about the workshops? Yes. What kind of feedback did you get from
2: that? Overwhelmingly positive. It's just been such an outpouring of love and connection from all the people that were involved. And I know I've personally have stayed in touch with a lot of the people in the workshops, and we've continued to plan events to bring everyone together and find opportunities to work with clay. I think the one piece of feedback that I would really want to be attentive about next time is maybe extending making time somehow, figuring out how to give folks that really didn't have any clay experience Maybe multiple days to work on projects because we were really holding their hand through that. I think some people could have really benefited from taking some time away to digest and then coming back and working on those again. But that is the one thing that I would want to try to work out next time if we were to do it again.
0: I totally agree with that. I feel like making time always flies by in a workshop, in a class, in a day. That was one of the things that I thought was really... Some good feedback, I guess, that we got from folks was although there was a general desire for more making time, the folks who hadn't worked with clay before or who had very limited experience working with clay were so invigorated. We did some startup exercises and just you could see that these folks light up and they had voiced that to us as well, that they just really connected with the clay as a medium and then to be brought to east creek and to the community and seeing everything that twig and i and everybody else have been doing to really get this event together i think was really appreciated
2: yeah i really like that term invigorated because i sense that too we started with just some fun warm-up exercises because i think your first time delving into a new medium it can feel so intense you have this expectation of how you want it to turn out and there's a lot of anxiety that you're holding in yourself in the form of that expectation so i think what we did was just 30 second poses or something like that and then just handed everyone a hunk of clay and was like okay play with this just play with clay feel what it feels like feel what it does when you swish it around and we were just doing silly things
0: (laughs) in the front of the room and then smash it and sculpt from the same piece so it was kind of just like quick turnaround get that thought of permanence, and try to get rid of that notion off the bat, because I feel like clay and ceramics and wood firing is a lot about impermanence.
2: (laughs) Yeah, impermanence and fun, and I think we tried to really imbue that into it, and to set the expectation also that whatever they made, they might not see it through to the end. And just to clarify that only some of the people in our workshops had that limited making time, All the folks that had more experience with clay or had their own studio but had never really delved into wood fire, we got them some Cone 10 clay so that they could noodle around on their own and then bring their work to us to get bisque fired. So experiences were varied.
1: Do you guys want to walk us through the itinerary? Just how it went and step by steps a little bit. I will say looking at the list of itinerary, the one thing that I don't see there is decorations, which not every firing starts with decorations, (laughs) but this one did.
4: Or karaoke. Curious. Oh yeah, oh, Curious.
2: Yes, Curious is fun. <laughs> yeah. i'm gonna add that to the list right now
1: well and i think yeah. we talked about it but also this will be the pamphlet that y'all made with the itinerary i think is going to be linked in the show notes somewhere so that if people can look at it and see all the things they all put together
2: yeah so i just kind of want to talk about what queer cat was in the concrete sense before we delve into the itinerary. So basically, we did a two-day firing of the Chicken Cat Catenary Arch Wood Soda Kiln at East Creek with one pre-day where people could arrive early and get acquainted and set up their tents and whatnot. Really building out this event to be more than just a firing and kind of more like a conference and community building experience stemmed out of the fact that so many people became involved and so many people were interested and therefore i felt the need for structure and this came out of a conversation that i had with mandy because mandy was one of our support firing leads and she was like well how many people are going to be there and i think it was maybe the first time i had really counted it up And that was my freakout moment of, well, (laughs) there are a lot of people here. Because our workshop roster and our crew roster were separate. So individually, they didn't look so bad. But then when you put them together, it was over 50 people who had expressed interest and RSVP'd and who we had allotted cube amounts to. Small cube amounts. So yeah, all of this structure and the need for an itinerary and even the decorations. This came out of, we need to let the people know where they need to be, when they need to be there, and give them things to do so that, coming back to, they feel taken care of, and they're just not bored hanging around. Because the work itself is usually the crux of the woodfire experience, but with 50 people, you can just kind of cruise, because many hands make light the work, so in the absence of work, what else can we do, was the question. So, like Alex mentioned earlier, we got Benjamin Cahoon on as kind of our cheerleader slash coordinator help person. We should have really given him a, a title so that this would make a lot more sense. But he basically helped us to put together a little visual itinerary that we printed in a booklet. And Alex, if you want to like take it away and go more into depth of the planning that we did for the program...
0: Yeah, totally. Another thing, too, just to jump off tying everything in, the things that we've set in place have been for this event were partially a reflection of experiences that we've had. And so, with that many people in a kiln that is not as large as the, the other kiln at East Creek, we were thinking, and half of these people haven't even been out there. I was like, they're going to need to know how to keep themselves busy or, or they, or they don't know. They don't know how to keep themselves busy out there. They don't know where the trails are necessarily like X, Y, Z. So that's why we were like, well, we should fill the gaps. And if people don't want to attend, that's fine. It's not mandatory. And so, well, mostly everything. We tried to have everybody there for a couple of key points. So I'll just jump into the So picture. this. <laughs> Thursday, you arrive with your pots, or we have them for you. You are greeted. You learn where you're going to sleep if you're staying the night. You set up your tent. We help you prepare your pots either you glaze them and we help you wad them next morning we gather in a huge circle we tried to do this every day at least once a day gather up so that everybody was on the same page because that's another thing we can circle up at the beginning of the day and then eight hours go by and you're sort of just like what can i do so it was nice to get our eyes on pretty much everyone's faces too and have everybody just be in one big circle at once that was super special, I think, for us. I definitely had goosebumps the whole time. It was really magical seeing everybody there. So, start loading the kiln, basically. Pair up loading ships. Halfway through the day, we have a kiln god-making session with a friend of Twig's which is kiln god making is something that happens in in wood firing and atmospheric firing a lot and i guess in other types of firing too and so we had a little bit of history background on that where that stems from and folks we had quite a lot of people be able to make hand build little kiln gods that were then not fired at all but set around the kiln to bless the firing
2: i think at the end they all like fell off too (laughs) because it was very cute how they were arranged on the kiln there were so many of them. I had never seen this many kiln gods before. But like, since it's a catenary arch kiln, there's bricks that step down the side. So, like, all of them were, like, sitting on each individual brick. It was adorable. But I think at some point there was, like, maybe it was during the unload, the vibration of taking the door down, they just they all, all like, them. waterfalled yeah. off. It was like, well, that signals the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like you know, there's I something know. a little <laughs> poetic about it. Like, it was kiln gods for this firing. And yeah, then they, exactly. they
4: ran their course, and then they were they done. They did their job.
0: Yeah. So, also that day, we had potluck lunch. In the evening, we had wood-fired pizza oven. We bricked up the door and started preheating overnight. And then the next day was one of the main two firing days. We had t-shirt printing with logos designed by Anna Sage and that was really an amazing thing that I think we prolonged to the next day as well right
2: yeah and I guess to like talk about the logos and all of the work that went into design and decoration and stuff Anna Sage Tattoo helped us to design three unique images that we were able to use for screen printed bandanas and t-shirts which was just so awesome. And we had some pre-made items for sale, or it was a suggested donation. So even if you couldn't really afford it, we were just like, just take a bandana. Doesn't matter. But then we had also bring your own whatever so that we could screen print it for you. And that was just so much fun. I think there's something about wearing the merch of the place. All at the same time, it really brings you together and feeds into the energy. And so I think that some of the little details like that of the decorations or the itinerary printed as a booklet, I feel like all of that, Kind of made it more like legit. We made a legit event. (laughs) That's really what it felt like. And it's especially special when you
4: had people making their own merch. It's like you had these things pre-printed for people to buy. Like They got to go in and some of them probably learned how to screen print a shirt in the process of making one. And so they got to walk away with (laughs) merch that they made.
2: Oh, yeah. It was a full-scale operation and people were cycling through there all day. And how special it is to use something that you already own and love rather than you just get a t-shirt that maybe you don't even like wearing t-shirts, but like that's all that there is. But yeah, like you print on your bag or your jacket. It was just a lot of fun.
0: Welcome to the mid-roll where we'd like to take the opportunity to thank all those who made queer cat 2023 possible to clay Art center of tacoma georgie's ceramic and clay regional arts and culture council oregon arts commission east creek art joe robinson our gofundme donors morning ceramics daffodil studio ty and shy nick kessler vicky martin benjamin cahoon our firing co-leads Volunteers and participants. We couldn't thank you enough for your time, dedication, clay, food, kilns, space, and love. And I think. The next thing that we facilitated was the roundtable discussion, which was what we've talked about as the roundtable discussion was one of the key moments or the key standout moments, I think, for the weekend for us and for everybody involved. Because it was this culmination of of the efforts of everyone, but also a theme and just general feeling overall that we were trying to cultivate this community building connection, judge free space. So for this discussion, we had some volunteers, we had four folks volunteered to help and we met with them to formulate questions for the roundtable discussion.
2: Yeah, and these were people that just volunteered to take on this role. I think that I may have sent out an email to our crew list in anticipation, hey, this is something that we want to be a really big theme during this firing, is making this a catalyst for discussion, talking about why this even matters that we're doing an all-queer firing and talking about really solutions-oriented ideas for how we can move forward and make this space feel more comfortable and welcoming to everyone. And so these four individuals just stepped up to be on this committee and helped us to come up with some really great jumping off points for the discussion, which I think all the ideas are still in conversation. It was great. This is the crux of what we were really trying to achieve here.
0: Honestly, I have um, the concise questions pulled up. I would love to read them because, honestly, I would love for, for the listeners to consider them in their own realms and scopes. I feel like I could read them off pretty quickly. Go for it. Cool. So we have five questions. And so these are geared towards East Creek. But like I said, consider how these might affect you and the people in your community in your clay wood fire community or elsewhere. Number one, how has East Creek succeeded and fallen short in its efforts to be a more inclusive wood fire community? In what specific ways can we improve the space? Number two, how can we challenge the patriarchal hierarchy at wood kilns and encourage them to be safer spaces that ultimately invite more marginalized folks to join? Number three, what differentiates tokenism from acceptance and how does that play into genuine inclusivity? Number four. There are many external expectations of what we can slash should be able to do based on gender. How does gender performance interact with ability? And how can we challenge gender norms to support individuals' unique abilities and skills? And number five kind of ties into the last question before this. What can we do in the wood fire community to support potters with disabilities? And so we spent, we blocked off an hour and a half and probably spent two hours plus Discussing this with a circle of, I would say probably at least thirty people. I mean, felt like quite a lot. And so we had, we were taking notes, and we we did a debrief also afterwards. Yeah, Twiggy, do you want to jump in?
2: Yeah, I think for the debrief, one of our discussion leaders took on the role of taking very detailed notes of everything that came up during the discussion and trying to find a good summary of what we really talked about, that is distinct from what Alex just said about what the questions were. But just
4: off the top of your head, Mm -hmm. what stood out in the way that people responded to those questions?
2: I was very impressed with the thoughtfulness and the intention behind everyone's input in the roundtable discussion. Before we opened the discussion, we started with a statement that laid out some guidelines about keeping the timing in mind and making sure that everyone feels like they have space to talk if they need to, basic etiquette for being in a meeting, but also emphasizing that we wanted this to be a very like solutions-oriented discussion and also to like, not call out any marginalized people or speak on their behalf, really, about their experiences. And I think that mostly everybody did a very... Good job of following those guidelines and being really solutions oriented and staying on track, talking about access and inclusion. I think all of these topics really tie in with each other access, inclusion, tokenism, ability, disability, gender performance. They're really interconnected. And yeah, I think that one of the most impactful moments of the discussion for me was about this idea of tokenism and how we want to make this a more open and welcoming space for marginalized people, queer people, people of color, people with disabilities, and how what distinguishes tokenism from acceptance is the support. So if you're inviting people in who are not normally financially able to support the very expensive hobby of wood firing, how are you going to keep them coming back? Or if you're inviting people of color into a space that is mostly white, what are you going to do to support them so that they feel comfortable and able to come back to that space? That was something that I was thinking a lot about after the discussion is it doesn't really like matter who you get in a room if they don't feel comfortable supported and that they have an avenue to stay in the community or stay involved in some way. So that's just something I've been thinking about.
3: I feel like you guys are part of this reform movement for wood firing. <laughs> like, this is what it's sounding like. It's not just a one-off thing that y'all did. This is really thinking about what systemic things need to be changed in the culture of wood
1: firing, right?
4: Well, and this goes back, I think, Mindy, to something you said during the panel at the conference. It's like, we can't just have one discussion about it and then walk away. Yeah. You have to keep talking about it and then you have to start doing the things and the phrase that you said at the time that has stuck with me ever since is life's work
0: Mm, yeah it's,
4: it's not something no one person can carry a movement towards change on their shoulders but if you're taking that on then you have to keep doing it in order yeah. to perpetuate it and gain the momentum that it needs in order to really happen. And so in terms of reformation and revolution and you know, things like that, if balls are rolling in this direction then great. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm thrilled and I think I think you all should be thrilled with what you all did with this firing because I think you took it to a level that I think previous efforts maybe hadn't, and and you put the bar up, and the bar needs to be up.
1: Well, the overall theme that y'all, the title or the thought process, living in abundance, was the mindset, and so you talked about all of these different things, but also really keyed into this thought of there is enough if we come together and we work together to get there. And it has felt, maybe it's felt scarce in the past, or maybe it's still hard to see the path to abundance, but like, that's what we're going to speak towards. And that's what we're going to move towards. And we can definitely talk about the challenges, but also that this firing was so joyful. We're going through a lot of the things that were like, deeper and in bigger concepts for the future and all of those things. But also the energy around it was exciting and fun and there were balloons and there was Hiking and karaoke like, is so great, but also being able to have that fun and then at the same time really focus on these important things for the future and these deeper emotional aspects and cultural aspects is like, a really beautiful way that it flowed.
2: Yeah, it, it really did feel like a seamless transition between fun and joyfulness to the like, we're also here for some really big, important reasons. And also just shout out Aubrey for helping with that balloon arch. Um, We couldn't have done it without you. I was like, I bought the stuff for the balloon arch. And then I was like, you know, I don't know how to do this. And then Aubrey totally stepped in. Talk about living in abundance. (laughs) (laughs) Just to go back to talking about some of the main takeaways from the roundtable discussion. I think really holding dear this idea of how do we keep the people together? How do we create a system where we are able to provide support to one another? All of that started with creating a contact list, a database of people who were at the firing that were excited to share their contact information and a little bit about themselves of how they could be helpful as a resource. Because if we're sharing our resources with one another, like if you don't have access to something, this is the avenue for here's somebody with expertise on this topic that you might need help with. And they have made it clear that you can go to them. And so we have that list going. And this is starting that structure of like, we need to be able to arrange carpools for people who don't have a car and going to East Creek is a very car dependent endeavor. You really, I mean, maybe you could bike there. Take a a hell of a long time
1: one or two times some people have biked there <laughs> it's not the regular oh, Jesus. people bike
4: there, but they're serious cross-country cyclists it's what they do and so taking a trip out there was not unusual <laughs> for them to do but if, if you're not a serious cross-country cyclist then it's it's way the hell out there to try <laughs> to do that yeah
2: props to those people <laughs>
0: i never got the chance <laughs> i would do it i would probably take me two days though
2: but yeah, like we have this contact list now, this database of people who were at Queercat and want to stay involved in some way. We talked a lot about what our values are and how we can come back together to make a value statement as our anchor for making decisions going forward, like with the type of tools that we have, addressing the PPE cabinet or like getting the wood mm. splitter up, addressing the accessibility of the space. And then possibly making like a peer-to-peer mentorship program. Nothing too official, I think, is what we decided on. But just identifying the people that want to step up and be that person that someone can go to. So maybe taking some of that idea of forged in fire, but also bringing in the like gentleness and the support, which the forged in fire attitude that we talked about earlier really only exists to beat you down, pitch you against your peers, and create this competition of egos. Mm. So yeah, I think that those were some main takeaways from the roundtable discussion. And before doing this again, we definitely want to get back together a committee of people to really start doing this work of, well, we need to construct our value statement. Maybe we need to write an open letter or some kind of agreement of how we want to show up in this space. And yeah, I think it's really open right now, but the need is there. The conversation has been started and people are really excited about being involved in this because we have created a platform where People can feel heard, and I think that that is really valuable in a space that it has historically been very hard to speak up if you're not of a certain... (laughs) If you're not in the inn. If you're not in the inn, if you're not one of the burly guys that's hulking around giant (laughs) wheelbarrows full of wood and elbowing your way up to the front of the kiln. Yeah, we're just here for everyone.
4: I have a thought, if it's okay to go off on a little side thing about the forged in fire mentality is that okay yeah because i've had a few mentors in my life not necessarily just clay mentors but mentors in my life who have had that mentality and i think what you're talking about were like the ego chain and the pulling rank and the bitterness from experience thing are oftentimes results from the forged in fire but i don't know if that's the mentality behind it because all of the mentors i've had who have been like that have been you need to get in there and do it and fail like fuck up and learn from the fucking up and then do better and come out stronger. And I think it is meant to be a strength and confidence exercise. But the question I think we have now is how do you do that without traumatizing people first? Yes. Why do, why do people need to be traumatized so that they're actually afraid of failure? You need right. to get them, because I think there is a trial by fire. There are elements of it that are good, which is you do have to, when you first get into ceramics, there's a student at PCC when she was first starting out, she was very timid, about everything and asking me questions every two minutes and (laughs) like I'm really wanting her hand held every look not just every step of the way but every micro step of the way and after about the fifth time that she came to me and said is this right is this right is this right I told her to sit down and touch the clay and see what happened and she did and at that point she started to take off she finally started to understand there is such a thing as not needing too much help but at some point you just start have to start walking
0: <laughs> push the bird, baby bird out of your net.
4: she nest. was afraid of mistakes is what is what was happening she was afraid of making mistakes and so she was trying to prevent those mistakes and i said sit down and make the mistakes. sometimes people need the permission to make the mistakes that they're going to learn from and not right. worry about consequences from those mistakes right if nobody's getting hurt just understand that that is how we learn. We learn from screwing up a lot. And then we stop screwing up because we learned from it. And I think the trick in the tightrope walk there is how to do that without traumatizing people with becoming afraid of those mistakes. So I don't know. That's my thought.
2: Absolutely. I feel like that's the whole, that's everything. When you are able to go off on your own and Try doing your own thing and see what works. See what doesn't work. That's how you really build your skills. But I think that the whole attitude behind some of that—I'm trying to like say something really well put together for the podcast
1: and like—I <laughs> I need.
2: I feel like I need to go off and maybe talk in my own voice <laughs> for a second instead. Well,
1: you know, I was thinking about this. I've been thinking about this fortune fire since Mindy brought it up earlier, and also just in general thing thinking about this conversation. Different styles of learning work for different people. Some people want a little bit more of a strong hand or a push. Some people need more time and comfort. And some people are more anxious than other people. And to me, this speaks to the emotional labor of access and diversity and trying to Shift a culture. There's so much work in if a culture looks like all the people that are there, they think the same, they work the same, they are the same. They've created a culture that only allows for people who are that way to exist in it. And so now there's all these things. Well, is one way better than the other? I think that we could say, oh, there are definitely some challenges. You don't want to traumatize people. Like that's not beneficial. But finding that there can be a spectrum of how people learn and how people are taught and that having different types of people at the kiln can help to connect with other people who are arriving and you can begin to learn who's gonna work together, that mentors, that peer mentorship thing, so great because you can pair people together who have similar energies or are gonna be able to grow and build on each other. And so I think a lot of that is really thinking about getting to know people, relationship building, and then you can ask people, how do you wanna learn right now? is it helpful for you for me to push you right now? Or would you rather have a little bit of space and time to process and watch? And maybe someone could actually communicate that. And that's a great tool of just asking people what they want rather than being like, well, you need this. I just know it. Well, mm-hmm.
3: well and I also think failure is a privilege in a lot of situations to be able to, because I do agree like this forge by fire way of doing things. I appreciate it to some extent because some of my mentors in and outside of the arts and the clay world have been that way as well. But I just think too, in systemic ways, the stakes are different for everyone in terms of what failure is. Having a pot explode for some people is like, well, this is a part of the journey. This is part of what happens. For others, that means, well, that's two hours more of work that I have to do to be able to buy another bag of clay and try again. There are people that count their failures in the amount of labor it's going to take to recover from that failure. And I think that's something in especially in BIPOC communities, which tend to live more in poverty and on low incomes. That is the mentality is, well, I tried. And if I can't cover all these other needs, basic need things that I have, then I have to abandon my practice. I can't do these things, right? Or the person that has said that they're going to support me will no longer be able to support me because I won't be able to pay my studio fee or whatever the thing is. So I think that we are not in a society or a culture where Being forged by fire can be the only way to be successful in entering these certain niche things, right? Or these subcultures like wood firing, like the arts, like whatever it is, because it doesn't work for a lot of people. And that's really what's created a very white, very male community is because those were the people that had the mobility, had the space to fail, right? All these other folks, these brown folks, these queer folks, these other folks, these women did not have that space. So I do want to make that point, and that failure is a privilege in a lot of ways.
4: No, you're right, and I guess the question is, how do you create the environment of that privilege for everyone, so right. that so that everyone does have that space? I also think it's worth pointing out that those tough old bastards with the forged by fire mentality, every last one of them who I have learned under have mentored me, they are the most sensitive people. Yes, they are so sensitive. Like when you actually crack the shell, that tough skin, that Mm -hmm. thick skin and that outer shell, they are so sensitive underneath that. And any time You run across somebody who is that tough. I mean, just know, you don't have to tell them this, but just know they are hypersensitive underneath it. People don't just grow that thick skin. They do it because they got traumatized into it. They felt like they had to get that way. And on the one hand, I think that's really sad, a truly sad state that people feel like they have to be hard in order to protect themselves. And then on the other hand, moving forward, how do we allow for people to be able to be softer, yeah, where they don't feel like they have to have that armor up all the time. And that that's a simple. really tough question.
3: <laughs> have any of you guys read The Dispossessed? Did I read The dis- I read The Left Hand of I-
4: Darkness. I don't think I read The Dispossessed.
3: One of the things they say in there is that, and there's a big debate as part of the book, is that somebody makes a statement that suffering is what creates solidarity. Suffering is what creates brotherhood. And you have this other person being like, that's absurd. (laughs) So we're all doomed to be unhappy so that we can come together and build community. Like, that's absurd. (laughs) But you realize actually this really delicate balance of yes and no and either or and both. I feel like this is part of this conversation is like that suffering is a lot of what brought together this first guard of wood fires. Right. And they're sensitive. They can be territorial generosity is not in their nature in these spaces i think too they tend to hoard they tend to hoard their roles their power their knowledge all these things but then it's also suffering is what has brought it together kind of this new guard right of being like feeling rejected feeling unwelcome feeling under resourced but it's bringing people together but obviously those aren't the only things but i just think sorry i've just started reading this book so i'm like this is interesting (laughs) Le
4: Guin is so interesting because she was the one who said, why do you have to have, and this is with the Wizard of Earthsea series, where she said, I wanted to create a fantasy series where a state of war wasn't necessary to make this thing interesting. She Mm. inverted all of that conflict. Those books are about internal conflict rather than external conflict because she got tired of reading all these books written by men in the 60s (laughs) where it was like, if you want your story to be interesting, people need to be at war. And yeah. He said, "What if they're not? What if we write a story where somebody's battling themselves?" And yeah. yeah, so she's God. She was so far ahead of her time.
3: Totally. Yeah, that's a lot of what I think you guys. I think that resonates really well with the work that you guys did, Twig and Alex, in that you were pulling out a lot of that internal work and bringing it to the forefront and being like, well, what are our feelings and impressions? What are our critiques? You're critiquing the thing as you're doing it. Again, there's a lot of things that you guys are doing simultaneously that isn't done in programming that I just find wild and awesome and all the things. So thanks, Mindy. I really like that you brought it back
2: to this idea of generosity versus hoarding, like hoarding of resources, hoarding of your role and that guardedness, that fear there. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the whole culture really encourages that because there is this scarcity mindset. And I feel like for me, servant leadership is that key thing that I think has the power to really transform a lot of these spaces. Just the idea that me as a leader, it is my role to transfer knowledge onto somebody else as an educator and then also figure out how to lift them up at the same time and I haven't always seen that, and I just feel like this forged-by-fire mentality that is super, like, individually driven rather than communally driven a lot of the time mm-hmm. really doesn't like, mesh with that idea. For example, I remember an experience of coming on shift one time, and I think there were just a couple of us there, me and two other guys, and I was like, "'Do you want me to get the door for you while you're stoking?' And they are just like, no, nah, I'm good. And just fucking stoke the kiln all by themselves, got the big door, and I was just like, cool, why am
3: I even here? That sucks. I hate that feeling.
2: Yeah, it's like, you as a leader, this was your moment to be like, you need to be involved somehow. I need to reach out to you and bring you into the fold. Because I tried. That was my moment of, I'm going to try to be helpful right now. And it's your turn to tell me, like, no, I don't need help stoking, but could you do this instead?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I think that the idea of you as a leader, you need to be the one that is taking care of the people who are looking up to you, giving them guidance and structure. That is super important to me. And I think that's what cultivates this two-way street of this can be a conversation and you can really trust your leaders to go to them and ask for support. I think if that's the model that they're demonstrating.
1: This thought keeps coming to my mind as you were talking of where leadership and stewardship need to be really partnered and hand in hand of recognizing that as a leader of a community style thing, that you are not just making sure that that thing happens but you're also stewarding that that thing doesn't get lost with you. If You always soak the kiln, you never teach anybody. You create a community that isn't welcoming and only like five people come and then they retire or they leave or whatever happens. And that's one thing about East Creek. Joe's thought is this model that you talk about too, like the servant leadership style where it's not about one person. It's about this beautiful thing that we want to continue the culture, wood fire and creating these things and creating this community. Good leadership is building more leaders so that if you go away for whatever reason, it goes on. The thing that you love goes on. And if your love is just like, oh, I like being in charge, then that's not actually really a very good leader. It's not just about calling
4: shots. It's about making sure everybody you're overseeing has things to do, is comfortable with the things they're doing, has the know-how for the things that they're doing and that they're learning. It's not just about stoke now, or I'm going to stoke now, or go get the wood. It's not ordering people around. It's about making sure that the order under your jurisdiction is working for everybody. That's part mm-hmm. of the responsibility of being a shift lead, I feel mm-hmm. like. Yeah.
3: And it informs the result. We've seen times at East Creek where that leadership was ported, that knowledge was ported. And the firing didn't go great. People left upset. They left hurt. The work itself maybe didn't come out the way people expected. So it, it creates an ecosystem, right? This ripple effect of how is it making everybody else feel and how is it informing the results?
0: Yeah, I feel like the way that we've approached this and how all of us, I feel like, are trying to approach being leaders and being in positions of leadership is not from the perspective of I want to power I forgot who said someone just said it's not about me and my needs and what i want it's not about a power struggle it's about i've been given this gift of leadership and how can i make it a gift for for someone else as well. Give them the gift of of my leadership, essentially. I guess that sounds a little bit egotistical, maybe. It's not. That's not the perspective I'm coming from.
2: It's not. I know what you mean. As a leader, I think you're responsible
4: for serving your crew, not the other way around.
0: Yes. Mm. Yes.
4: Exactly. And that's not a dynamic you see. I mean, I have seen plenty of that dynamic around wood kilns, but I've also seen plenty of the opposite dynamic of, I'm in charge, you're going to do what I say. And, you know, we talked a little bit last episode about you can't really underplay the importance of fun with wood firing. And if somebody's just ordering people around, then that's not fun.
2: Yeah, it's so important to balance the fun because it's so easy to just get exhausted, mentally exhausted, physically exhausted depending on what kind of amenities you have at the place that you fire, you might be camping, you might be outside for like four days, people get to their absolute brink. And so you got to cut that tension somehow, because those tense moments are going to happen. But I feel like just really leaning into the like, we're together here. And the whole point of this is because we love doing this. So why not make it fun at the same
1: time? Well, and I will say thinking about this particular firing and thinking of the whole arc of how it all went down, y'all's leadership style of abundance and sharing and sharing of knowledge, The original thought was not to have 50 or 60 people because there's only 55 cubes in that kiln. And y'all had assigned people who were taking on leadership roles like crew leads and even the two of you had allotted more space. And one of the things that threw out the fire, you're like, oh, we're, we're bringing on more people. And I was like, cool, I'm sure you're figuring it out. But where's the space? And it was like, oh, well. Numerous people who had been allotted space, who already had, we'd confirmed it with them, we were gonna give them the space. We did not ask them to give this space back. People were just like, I just wanna be here. I'm gonna bring a couple of pots, but I will bring some extras but I want everyone to be able to get in or I want more people to join. And you guys did that. You guys created a culture where the leaders were doing that and people who had more stake in there, they shared because that was the style that you were perpetuating.
2: Oh, yeah. I just totally felt that generosity from all of our volunteers who stepped up. We really wanted to compensate the people who were helping us and were stepping up to be in those leadership roles. So we did offer more cubes to them. But I think almost everybody either chose to sponsor someone else who was on our wait list or sponsor someone they knew who was a student and just gave away the space that had been allotted to them so that somebody else could join too. And I ended up with no
1: no space in the kiln
2: too, which is totally fine. I am actually really glad that this is the way that it shaped out for numerous life reasons, but... I think it was just perfect in the way that it allowed more people to be able to come and to participate. And then I think also not worrying about work in the kiln, that helped me to really focus (laughs) on everybody else. (laughs) Everybody else's work. I was like, me, I do not matter right now. What matters is that everybody knows what they need to do. Everybody feels supported. Everybody feels they know where and when to engage if they want to. And
1: yeah. (laughs) <laughs> well, and at the end of the fire when the unload happened, it was spectacular, so beautiful. The results were there. You can support people and you can support the crew and you can focus on the firing. but if you focus on the people, you can get the results and they could be really beautiful and everyone can feel really good about it. And we've talked so much about the conversation and because the work in certain ways, it was the whole point, but also secondary and it was just wild. That's what brought everyone together was because they want to do this thing. And then at the end of the day, it was actually like, well, we want to do it together. If we don't do it together in this way, it matters how we do it. To us, it matters how we get there. And so all these great things and then also bomb pots came out of that firing and were like so good. Put the cherry on top. There there was was definitely
0: an
4: overall gestalt to the approach to how to go about this event and then how everybody came together for it, It fed off of your generosity and decided, okay, this is the model here of, of this generosity and inclusion. And so people just followed suit and then that sense of camaraderie and cooperation and education and community. And then to see such a great firing come out as a result of that those aren't unrelated things
2: yeah yeah my relief when the door came down and all the pots were still there (laughs) (laughs) i don't know it's just when you're in charge of something the stakes feel so
0: high (laughs) i have one last thought maybe for me that i've just been thinking about as we've been talking today that i think is a good thing to think about and be aware of because yeah I'll explain what I mean <laughs> I think that this again was not only about the wood firing was about the community building was about uplifting folks into leadership roles and part of the reason that we feel like we I don't want to say we're paving the way but starting a precedent is because you think about the elders that we might look up to, we don't have a lot of queer elders because of the AIDS epidemic. And thinking about these old masters or Forged by Fire folks, it's, generally speaking, they're not members of the queer community. Mm-hmm. And I mean, obviously, it's very sad and very bu- Just, I'm trying not to cry right now but just thinking about it but I think that that adds another level to me of importance of making sure that we're fucking here and we're not going anywhere and (laughs) the government didn't give a shit about us then, government doesn't really give a shit about us now they give a shit about our money, that's about it and I think that's something that even as a queer person, not something I even thought about until I became an adult and I think it just, yeah Something I want to bring up because queer people, non-queer people, you don't think about it. And it's just
1: facts. Anyway.
4: If it's okay to say this, and I don't want to be generationally patronizing, so just be clear, <laughs> I'm not trying to be like that. But you all are in your mid to late twenties, right? Both of you.
3: Yeah. I, would not,
4: I was not yeah. thinking like you in my twenties. The amount of dedication and compassion and thought that you all put into not just this event, but that you're putting into your lives and you're putting into your community. And I don't know anybody in my generation who was really crunching that hard on things. And, you know, and part of that is we grew up in the eighties and nineties, which were a fairly prosperous, easygoing time for a lot of us. And you know, we, we did grow up in a world of privilege generally. And that privilege is going away widespread for people. And you, you're a generation that grew up with a lot more violence and a lot more hatred evident in the world. Not that the hatred was new, but I think with the internet age, it's become just so much more evident and just bold faced. So when we talk about being forged in fire, I feel like the fire is the world now. Mm. You all were forged in fire. You grew up with challenges that my generation, which, you know, I, I think I'm like 15 years older than you are, which doesn't seem like that much time, but you all grew up with challenges challenges that we didn't. And that has been your fire. And it has you considering these things at such a much younger age than I think has traditionally been the case or historically been the case. And I think that's amazing and heartbreaking at the same time. (laughs) I I... want it to be easier, but... (laughs) No. And and you all are working on the world where it is easier, but I feel like you're working on it a lot sooner than most people get around to working on that. And I have a lot of mixed feelings about
2: that. (laughs) I feel like this is totally tied back to our conversation in the last episode about form follows function. I think for me and I think Alex too, there was something that felt like this moment right now, it was very important that this is something that we address and really just dominoes falling. One thing leads to another and we need to keep going further down that rabbit hole. And I think that's just how it arose is through this almost a compulsion. I need to investigate this further. I need to do something about this.
1: Well, and it's interesting. I was thinking about some conversations that were had. A couple people mentioned this thought about, I wouldn't have come out to a rural Oregon. Portland area (laughs) is actually, it's very progressive. People came out here and they're like, yeah, I would never have just signed up here on the internet and showed up because that would be scary to me. And then bringing that more to what, what we're talking about from a bigger standpoint, there's lots of people who feel that way all the time in any community. If you're living in different parts of the country and right now, a lot of challenging things are happening with just taking away risks. I mean, it's a lot. We don't have to go into all the details of it, but realizing the space that you created and this structure, this was a beacon of hope for people to build community, talk about these things and thinking for people who are out there who haven't met a lot of people like them in their community. There are lots of people with energy who want to share, who want to grow. There is space for you. And the hope is that the culture can move towards that. And if people are at a kiln and they have those resources and they care about these things, you guys have built a structure and an idea and say like, hey, this can be a thing that happens. It can be good. It can be supportive. You do have to be thoughtful about it, but it's cool to see that happening. And I do really look forward to what The future, what y'all do in the future And the work that we can all do together Is challenging but good
2: Oh my god, you saying that,
1: Aubrey I'm like, how can we not do this again? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) Well, I feel that a lot And I also think it's really important Y'all did so much work and you need some space to process all of that and process your own experience because it became way bigger. Y'all spent way more hours than I think any of us imagined were gonna happen. But the impact was also, exponentially more than we had thought that it could be it's cool that there's so many people who are putting together events want to help want to do it and the two of you really did the legwork on this and hopefully there will be more people you're like we need more help to make this happen
2: totally and it's just feeling that the need is so high i just really want to support all of these people in our community it just feels like doing this again Is the only option. We need to keep this momentum going some way, somehow, get more people involved, especially the people who specifically voiced their interest in being a part of committees moving forward in the planning of future events and also and teasing apart the ideas that came up in the roundtable discussion to create a concrete plan to move forward. Yeah, when the need is so high, how can you not do anything?
1: Yeah, I agree. Can't stop now. I have an
3: auntie here and she says our excellence is our responsibility. I really agree with that.
1: Do y'all feel like you had a chance to describe the firing and talk about most of the things that went on? We got to the part about the Saturday conversation. So I just want to make sure that we circle back to the itinerary, I guess, if you want to, but we don't have to.
2: Yeah, maybe we could just give an overview of events. We could just sum it up quickly somehow.
0: Yeah, so events during the Queer Cat include, but are not limited to, A potluck wood fire pizza. Everybody loves a potluck. Everybody (laughs) loves a communal meal. Yes, yes. So we were double whammy with that. Twig did the
2: decorations. We had rainbow balloon arch. I hit up Dollar Tree and you can get a lot for a good like six bucks. (laughs) (laughs)
0: There was a
1: unicorn. that's junipers
0: (laughs) joe won that at the fair yes
1: junipers yeah joe won that at the (laughs) mcminnville state fair last year with the little Uh, ring toss game and she won the (laughs) rainbow llama corn so that rainbow llama corn has been in my life joe was like oh yeah we'll donate it it's so (laughs) big and it has been on my porch for over a year. I was like, but it did come in handy and it was an awesome prop, but also I'm glad I got used because ah.
2: I can't believe he won the big prize. Imagine being
1: a child and your dad wins you the big carnival
0: thing. Like five times per size.
3: Time.
1: Yes. Well, you know, you're not allowed to do it again. They took all, he got like 50 rings. He got it on like the seventh one or something. And they took his rings and they said, you can't get any more big prizes. Like <laughs> wow. they were only allowed to get one during That's any fair up. day. I know.
2: Cause we could have had like five rainbow long know. Cards.
1: Yeah. I would love that so much, wouldn't that be?
0: Yeah, yeah.
3: (laughs) I bet you he's so good at it though because of that little ring toss game at the (laughs) Killed. Oh, it is. It's
1: the ring toss game. We had that little ring game by the Onagama, and he said that that skill translated. (laughs)
2: No way! Yeah. So okay, so we gotta practice more next firing yes. with the ring toss. <laughs> 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 but yeah, we did the decorations, and I feel like it really helped to make the space feel welcoming, especially on the morning of loading because the pre-loading day, Thursday, it was a little bit more chill because people came in in a slow, steady stream. But then on the day of, it was like we're ready to roll. We had little banner flags as well, and. Some signage too, out by the road with some balloons. East Creek this way, because they're just country roads. It's really easy to miss your turn. So, all of that was creating the (laughs) ambiance.
0: Yeah that was all
1: twig.
2: <laughs> and Aubrey though that balloon yeah. arch like I was so impressed. I used to be a
1: professional balloon designer that was my first job so I so, when I saw no the kidding. balloons it like came back yeah Patty's party and give. Yeah. There
4: is no skill you pick oh, up in God. life that is too trivial. It's true
1: <laughs> yeah God. like I was ready with the balloons and that was actually fun that was like, a fun activity all the things that people help do that it was, Everyone came around and like, I feel like some people started like avoiding our, yeah, right I guess. feel like people like showed up and they're like, oh no, we're like, hey, you want to blow up some <laughs> balloons?
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we also facilitated some guided hikes, like a shorter walk and then a longer walk for folks because it can be also, again, just walking out into the woods in the middle of nowhere. You don't, you don't know. can not feel Yeah.
4: Better. I wasn't there for the hikes, but I, I do want to say that that is one of those really great touches that you all added to this because I remember the first couple times I went out to East Creek, I didn't know where I was allowed to go. Mm. I mean, there's private property all around there. I didn't know where the property ended and it's not all fenced off. There's a point where you're walking up a hill and then you're in the neighbor's land and he's a really nice dude. Doesn't mind us being up there. You're like in Bracken and then you're in this really manicured almost park. (laughs) You have no idea. Nobody tells you where things are and where these paths are. Like You don't know where you're allowed to go or if somebody's going to shoot you for trespassing mm. so that was a really like i'm so glad you all did that, know, because that. Got it
2: done. yeah even some people who had been regulars at east creek came on the hikes and were like i had never done this before because they were just like no one ever asked me to go on a hike with them and i was too scared to ask basically so it was just really cool to like have that experience
0: yeah. Oh, well, we also had a collaborative sculpture we didn't even talk about that was going on all weekend that people could add to.
1: Yeah, Alex made the base for that. Oh, yeah. And you did bring your own demos. Yeah. I
0: don't know if anybody actually.
1: On I feel like on Sunday there were some people sharing knowledge and doing some work stuff together yeah
2: it was very unstructured but i remember like around the kiln we had some tables set up with clay
0: on the tables and and lid did a frog demo
2: yeah lid did a frog demo which was like so precious but it was just great to feel this energy of there's all these people at the table and they're just making things and there's so much going on and it felt really fun to just be amongst that yeah because i think we started with all that in the studio because that was during the preloading... And the loading day, right? And then we moved it out in front of the kiln so that people could feel like they're able to watch what's going on.
0: Yeah, and I think folks had petered off at that point too. So it was nice to have a few folks that were still hanging around could all convene in front of the kiln and have something to do.
1: I think it was nice thinking about when you guys were doing this, like if people are thinking about doing a firing, having these different optional activities. It was just like a things that were happening, there was always a time you could start and go do it. And so People were already scheduled on the kiln, so the kiln was always taken care of. Like, that was the first thing that happened. Let's get everyone assigned to things, and you had everyone organized in their responsibilities. And then there was all these flexible, fun activities that people could come and go to, which was really cool.
2: Yeah, I think that that was what made this really successful, because you can just have a bunch of board games and put the board games on the table, but if there's not going to be that person that's like, Hey everybody, it's board game night, it's 8pm, <laughs> let's do it! You need that initiator, and so that's why we didn't just offer these things, but we also had timing, where we were doing that. But it it's like the timing and then also the point first. Exactly, or with making the kiln gods. People will sit down and make them at just a regular firing, but when I first came into this community, I was like, Is someone, like, instructed to do this? Like... <laughs> How do you get to be the person that makes it? And it really doesn't matter. If you want to make one, you can make one. So like having that structure of we printed out just some informational packets of the history of kiln gods. And then one of our participants walked a bunch of people through how to do it. And I think just having that catalyst of meet at this place at this time with this person and they're going to facilitate this activity. I think that's what made it successful. And it is hard to ask people to volunteer and go that extra mile. But since there was such a culture of generosity at this event, it there really was that abundance. It didn't feel like people were being pressured into anything. They were enthusiastic about being given a role.
0: I was overwhelmed by that a little bit, just the amount that everybody was willing to help. I kept being like, Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> and everyone's like, Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: I was so nervous about asking for too much and that's why we really wanted to compensate with proportional kiln space. But people just wanted to be there and give back to our community.
1: Well, and also sometimes it's hard thinking. If you think about how much you were willing to give of your own time and then recognize that other people in your community and your friends, they care about it as much or more than you. And sometimes it is hard to accept help. And it's like, oh, actually other people really, they care about this too. I'm willing to do it. So yeah, that acceptance of, okay, people... If you give them the space to be like, hey, if if you don't want to, that's totally fine. But people are adults and can set their boundaries around how much they want to give and will find that for themselves, which is, that's a community building is like giving that space to, to help, yes, or to be able to step back too.
0: And that's our show for today. Big thanks to our guests, Twig and Mindy, for joining us again, Aubrey and Mandy for co-hosting another episode with me, and you, our listeners, for supporting us in our critique, discussion, and love of wood fire ceramics. Thank you to Julie at Elaborate Flight of Fancy for our logo, to Joshua Clausen for our music. You can find them both on Facebook, and Joshua is also on SoundCloud. Like what you've been hearing? Leave a rating and review on Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon, and many other major podcasting platforms. Questions, comments, or concerns? Find us on Instagram at heatworkpodcast or send us an email at heatworkpodcast at gmail.com. As I mentioned in the last episode, stay tuned for an amazing documentary about Queercat created by our friends Ty and Shy, who filmed and interviewed during the event itself. Until next time, happy firing!